0: And that is the sound of the beer. Hmm. I have no idea if it's going to be good. It's uh, the last... uh, So, so, funny story, I went to the liquor store last week, and I was like, hey, I've driven past that brewery like a billion times and never went in, and somebody told me that they specialize in brewing high ABV beers, which is not the case. They actually specialize in brewing gluten-free beers. So this is uh, some kind of vanilla stout. What's it called? Vanilla in yo rye. So I guess it's a vanilla rye. Well, hold on. What does it say? Oatmeal style American stout with flaked rye for an earthy spiciness with a slight vanilla accent from Ricole Brewery in Arvada, Colorado. Interesting. Yeah. Gluten-free? Yeah. So, or, well, gluten remove, So... I'm not sure exactly how gluten removing process works. Something about brewing with um, some sort of thing that I don't remember what it's called suddenly. Uh, I'll remember it like halfway through the podcast and I'll just shout it out. So when I randomly shout out something, that's what I'm talking
1: about. Okay, Uh, I'll
0: try and remember Okay, so it looks like stout. Uh, So the last one I had from them uh, was the other thing that I got which uh like i don't know uh, it was supposed to be some kind of gold ale thing uh, and i don't know it just like had a weird flavor on it and the like it it had a weird mouthfeel too cuz it was like almost kind of gummy like like i don't even know how to describe it it was like it sounds pretty disgusting yeah it was it was like Combined with the flavor, it was pretty terrible. So let's let's see if this is any better.
1: <sighs> hmm. Might just be the gum that was in my mouth earlier, but it doesn't have a lot of taste. It is pretty cold, which never helps. I'm getting a little bit of that rye, but not not really a whole hell of a lot else. I was like maybe just a little on the on the back there. It's oddly much much thinner than
0: the other beer which is odd because it's a stout usually i would associate stout with that kind of thick heavy mouth feel um yeah it it's especially an oatmeal stout you know it's still still better than bud light yeah uh so i don't know i'm not terribly impressed with that but yeah. we had to have a beer on the podcast and it's still stout month and i had a stout in the fridge so, uh, there we go. That's our stout for the week. Um, also, Sean and Chris are both drinking something stupid this week. So, I decided to invent a couple of different cocktails, uh, based on D&D characters that we have played. So, I'm drinking a Salty Dock, and you're drinking a Grey Earl. So, these are two of our, uh, Pirates character that we played for a long time in d and I hope I don't blow myself up. yeah. Uh, so it's it's slightly experimental. Uh, I gave you a straw to, uh, either straw or stir slightly, because some of the stuff might have fallen to the bottom. Because it's experimental, just like Earl would occasionally do experimental shit. I see the ice is also all completely melted already, so perhaps your tea was a little too hot. But, uh, you know, maybe it'll be okay. Anywho, cheers to that. Mmm. Pretty wild,
1: like yeah. I don't don't really taste a lot of booze in there. There's not a lot. It's um, Earl Grey
0: tea with uh, gin and a little uh, lemon juice and a little black pepper.
1: It actually seems to be mixed pretty well. Maybe. Perfect. Let me stir up the black pepper. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I actually I like I like drinking tea. I like drinking even plain tea. Mm-hmm. Like, the pepper in there, it's it's like weird, but kind of works. Yeah, I
0: was yeah. kind of thinking about that because I was thinking what else to put in uh, experimentally, and I'm like, well, lemon pepper is a good thing to put on salmon. Maybe it'll be a good thing to put in tea because I was like trying to think of things that would pair well with tea, and I was like, maybe the kind of uh, junipery notes of the gin would work pretty well. Uh, And then I'm... Like, I don't make gin cocktails much, so I'm like, the last one I made might have had lemon in it. pretty sure this is the first time I've had gin in my life. Wow. Yeah. Right here, live on the podcast. You get these kind of exclusives on Drink to the Past. By the way, this is a Drink to the Past. Hi, I'm Chris. Hasn't had gin before in his life, Audette. And I'm Sean Michael Patrick Thompson, your amazing and glorious host. Uh, This is the Uh, podcast where we talk about booze more than
1: we introduce ourselves. Yeah. I'm more the co-host in that. Yeah.
0: But it usually works out. So, uh, yeah, so this is the first segment is Sean drinks something stupid, and this week Chris drinks something stupid too. Yeah. And uh, I think yours sounds probably slightly less stupid than mine, because basically I came up with this idea because I was like, uh, Doc, as a character, his go-to drink was uh, grog, which is just salt water mixed with rum, because basically they didn't want the sailors to go through all the rum too quickly, so they'd water it down. Uh, So this is a splash of water on top of some uh, rum, and uh, I mixed spiced rum. I decided Doc is the kind of person who would water his... Rum down with whiskey instead as well. So there's spiced rum, spiced whiskey, a little bit of uh, also lemon juice because you got to prevent
1: scurvy when you're sailing on the sea. Yeah, and uh, salted rim. That sounds much better than just straight grog. Yeah, I've had straight grog before. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty gross.
0: It's, uh, you know, it's like yeah. If if that's what you got to drink, it it'll get you through a gig. It's like rum but worse. That is true. Yeah because that's what it is. But yeah, <laughs> I, I just described it. Yes. So uh, yeah, that's more or less what this is. Uh, the salt and lemon uh, don't do a whole lot. I was hoping to get limes. I didn't get to the... Well, I got to the grocery store today, but actually then I forgot about the limes. So I should have got limes. I was thinking about... I think a lime would go better with this than a little bit of lemon juice. Well, that was I a good just, palate cleanser.
1: Yeah. So is that uh, beer a little better now that you've... It's a little better. It's still, mm. it's still pretty, it's like not that different from water.
0: Yeah, it is a very watered down for a, for a stout, which is like, I mean, I drink Guinness like on a regular basis and Guinness, I feel like is watery compared to a lot of stouts that I drink otherwise. Cause like I've had times when I'm drinking, you know, 10 to 15% stouts all night. And then the next day I'll have a Guinness and I'll be like, is, is, is this water? Not that Guinness is bad. It's just like way lighter than things, and yeah. I, and as that as one of my go tos, this is really really light. Almost feels very watery. Yes, that's a still kind of a different flavor complex. I'm getting a little bit more of that oatmealness, but still, I feel like the predominant flavor is the rye.
1: Yeah, I I have to agree with you on that. Yeah, it's like. It's got, it's got one flavor, and it's pretty mild. Yeah, so this is not
0: completely awful, but um, I'm going to avoid gluten-free beers for the rest of my life. Yeah, sounds... No offense, Ricoli. I'm sure you're great at whatever it is that you do.
1: Make beers for people with celiac? Yeah, those people. Those people can drink your beer. Yeah, I, I will leave it for them. Your beer is uh, not offensive. Yeah. We'll
0: say that. This beer is not offensive. The this other beer. one was awful. Okay. It was, which is totally sad, too, because also I was attracted to. I'm attracted to any beer with a catchy name, and this other one was called Quitcher Bitchin'. I was like, yes, I am buying that, because a, it has a clever, snappy title. It's a perfect Chom name, and yet. And yet, then it was actually not all that good. Yeah. Anyways, we'll move on to our next uh, segment. News and booze. Uh so yeah, I guess we're already doing the booze part. So uh, yeah, let's uh rate these uh here things. What do you call your gray earl? I like
1: this gray earl. I'll have to I'll have to drink the gray earl a little bit more, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking
0: take a wee supple. Is it the most delicious gray earl you've ever had?
1: The pe- black pepper and the juniper? Mm-hmm. I'd give
0: it a 13. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah. It actually wasn't Earl Grey tea. I was out of Earl Grey, so I made it with English breakfast tea instead
1: that That's also fine, yeah, I can't taste the difference <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a tea snob, right? You like tea, but you don't you're not like,
0: ooh, this isn't Earl Grey. This
1: isn't oh. my hibiscus
0: <laughs> that hibiscus belongs to the crazy person in Animal Village
1: that hibiscus belongs in a museum
0: <laughs> that too. And a salty Doc is, uh, I think I put way too much salt around the rim, too, and it doesn't really help. Mostly that drink was, like, water and salt, which, I mean, admittedly, that is, like, close to half of the drink's contents. It's Doc's Doc's favorite drink right there. But how does Sean like it? Well, I don't know. Doc probably wouldn't go so salty. And like I said, he would probably water it down with whiskey instead of with water. <laughs> so uh, I think next time I'll do that. I'll just do a, a grog, but instead of watering it down with whiskey, it's watered down with water. I mean the opposite
1: of what I just said. You know what I mean.
0: Yeah. Shut up. I'm home. Drunk, go. No. Go home. I'm drunk.
1: Wait. You'll figure out your sentences one of these days. Will I?
0: Eventually. Or will they figure me out? Because this is Soviet Russia. Uh,
1: it, it, no, it's not. Oh, okay. You, people say the Soviet Union, but I was told that Soviet means union, so people are just saying the Union Union. It's like uh, Table Mesa out here in
0: Golden, Colorado. It's a famous little uh, plateau. Mesa
1: is the Spanish word for table. So just the table table. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. And there's also a kind of rock formation known as Hoodoo. Hmm. Hoodoo that. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck are we even talking about? Are you sure this is a
0: video game podcast?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure this is a random bullshit podcast.
0: Yeah, that's
1: that's probably
0: closer to accurate. We just (laughs) happen to mostly sway our bullshit towards video (laughs) games and tabletop
1: RPGs. And boom! (laughs) yeah anyway I'd say this beer is probably uh, like I don't know a 10 I don't know I feel like Guinness is the average
0: stout like if you're worse than Guinness you're below average so so like so I'm gonna go like 6 it's not that great
1: I wouldn't I don't dislike it is the thing I'm like Mm -hmm. average is for like Meh. I'm like ten is, <laughs> ten's average. I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna stick with my ten. I'd say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. All right. Um,
0: this salty duck is uh, salty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way too much salt. I think if it had slightly less salt, and like I said, maybe a lime would go better with it. I think that would work better. But. um I don't fucking know. I'm not a mixologist. Ten, it's fine. Yeah, it's too salty. I feel like I'm on like a cooking show now. Oh, it's too salty. <laughs> it's oversalted. It's <That's> like eighty <laughs> percent of judge comments on cooking shows. It's oversalted.
1: You burned the toast. <laughs> the toast is too salty. Butter my English muffins. We can't stop the podcast yet. No, yeah,
0: yeah. Usually we stop the podcast on weird bullshit like that. Why are we doing it at the start? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> let's get into the news. Uh, did you rate yours? Whatever the other one is.
1: Yeah, I think that. I think this one actually had the highest rating. Okay. Out of any of the drinks. Yeah. None of them are
0: great. <laughs> Apparently. I mean, that one's okay. Yeah. Apparently, I made an okay decision with that one. But a salty dock is. Uh, it, it's. It's definitely weird. Something but... to be desired. I'll tweak the recipe. I think I could make this good, but I don't think I did. Yeah. Anywho, first piece of news and booze is uh, Kojima Productions sent out a tweet uh, reading "Sorry to be silent, everyone. I've been really busy lately. I think I can say more about what we are going to." Dot. 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 Hashtag Kojima Productions. Um, so this along is along with a picture in the tweet which features Hideo Kojima writing next week on a sticky note and um, fans are noting that he said silent in the tweet and the pencil has the word pyramid written on it that he has in his hand so I don't know if that's like a weird stretch or if that's the kind of weird bullshit thing that Kojima might do I don't know Uh, He is working on a Silent Hill something,
1: allegedly. Quiet Knoll. Yes, that. (laughs) Uh, That'll be the name of the game series. Quiet Knoll. So,
0: yeah. That could
1: be interesting, I guess. I don't know. I've never actually played a Silent Hill. Looking forward to it when we fight Quadrangle Head. Yes.
0: That'll be weird. (laughs) Or, uh, Dodecahedron Head.
1: Yeah, I mean, shit, you knock him over and he just kind of rolls around. Right.
0: He rolled a 12.
1: Anything else to say on that?
0: (laughs) No. (laughs) See, Xbox Series X. Smart delivery is a feature that guarantees you're playing the best version of your game. So basically, all Microsoft games released for Xbox One and Xbox X, if they're uh, released on both systems... You can buy the Xbox One version and then you'll get a free upgrade if you later get a Xbox Series X. Or if you just happen to have both, you can just get the Xbox One version mm-hmm. and then you can download it on both and it'll automatically download like the upgraded uh, better visuals and whatever more powerful version of it. Well,
1: that's cool. So you don't gotta
0: buy it twice. <coughs> yeah, uh, so that kind of sounds kind of neat. Uh, the first thing third party to uh, utilize this Uh, so basically that's up to the third parties whether or not they want to do this Mm because that would be a little cut to their money as well Uh, but um, CD Projekt Red is going all in on this with Cyberpunk 2077 so you'll be able to buy that on Xbox One and play it on either one and get the better version automatically if
1: you have a Series X Well, shout out to CD Projekt Red. Uh, Apparently they make good games and they aren't dicks. Yeah, so... I think it sounds like a
0: pretty neat dude. Um, Another thing from Microsoft. Xbox Series X... This is a direct quote. Xbox Series X is our most powerful console ever, powered by our custom-designed processor, leveraging AMD's latest Zen 2 and RDNA 2 architectures, developing... delivering four times the process power of an Xbox One and enabling developers to leverage 12 teraflops of GPU Uh, performance, twice that of an Xbox One X and eight times more than the original Xbox One. Also features variable rate shading and hardware-accelerated DirectX ray tracing, increasing smoothness, smoothness along with their touted 120 frames per second. Uh, so that's a bunch of tech talk. You can go to the Microsoft website if you want to, or uh, it's probably tagged on Phil Spencer's Twitter is where I found that. Uh, so basically, blah, 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 12 T-flops.
1: Is a flop a floating point calculation? I don't, I don't remember. Know. I, should I just know, know this. that bigger
0: numbers are good.
1: I should know this. I, I'm, I'm This is something I should know. Yeah, uh, I was going to actually kind of turn it over to you, because you're the... You're the guy that works
0: in this industry, more or less, of uh, computering things. It's been a while
1: since I read up on... Uh...
0: <laughs> yeah, so anyways, uh, the features that I was kind of looking over kind of sound interesting. The ray tracing sounds interesting, uh, not just from the ability to... Uh...
1: Yes, it is what the thing I said it was. Okay, So good. I feel less stupid now. Okay. It's a floating point op- floating point operations per second. Neat.
0: Yeah. Wouldn't I, that be flopped? not flop?
1: Yeah, but, I don't know, so they, they say flops to make it roll off the tongue easier, hmm. which is about the only easy thing about floating-point operations. Uh-huh. Makes sense.
0: Um, but, yeah, so the ray tracing sounds kind of interesting because it's going to be some sort of digital uh, analysis mechanism for how shading and coloring should appear depending on where you are and uh, also where sound comes from. So I think that'll be a really useful uh, tool for sound designers. I don't know how much this will actually be utilized because it's a new kind of thing Going in But it it sounds cool
1: All of my knowledge About ray tracing Comes from Like an old uh, Turn of the millennium Encyclopedia About animation Where they said Ray tracing Is the the most complex And most computation uh, Intensive version uh, Thing you can do In 3D animation Huh Neat And I'm half remembering that Because I was like 12 when I read it Right
0: Because that's just The kind of light reading You did at 12 Yeah Fucking nerd (laughs) You should go on a podcast or something. Yeah. With, like, another nerd. I probably should do that. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, and then uh, the variable rate shading sounds kind of cool, so it should theoretically deliver 120 frames per second all the time, and it uh, will, like, focus on more important parts of the picture, is what it sounds like that basically does. So it'll load those, like, the more important things in the scene uh, quicker, so... Even if it has things that are slightly out of focus, it can load them a little slower and you won't notice it. It's, it's kind of what it sounds like. Again, I'm not like a supercomputer guy. I'm just like, look, video games. That's neat.
1: I'm not a computer hardware guy, but, uh, I mean, progress, man. Yeah. So We're getting there. Yeah. So. I don't know. I mostly I, I say things to the CPU. Mm. To me, uh, floating point operations and GPUs are just like, complex little demons that I don't really understand and scare me. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So what do you think about that? I'm kidding. I understand them. I understand them. Okay. They still scare me.
0: (laughs) So what do you think about all that? Does that, uh... Does all this fancy hardware mumbo-jumbo get you all bonered up for an Xbox? Sadly, I'm still flaccid.
1: Nah. But I'm like... I'm thinking maybe it requires a visual demonstration.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I'm like, I'm like reading all this and I'm like, wow, this sounds neat. Can I can I see it? We've got one video of Xbox Series X something, which is uh, basically just like send you a chanting and yelling and having very detailed face.
1: They need a, if they're going to go off on a te- technical, rant like this. They need a tech demo. I think that would help. Uh, I don't know when
0: we're... I I bet we're probably going to get something like that around the time of E3 because they're going to be like, hey, look, everybody else is doing E3, but Sony and us dropped out, so we're going to like, hey, look at this over here that's not E3, but probably during E3, is almost a (sighs) counter-event. Check it out. I bet that's what's going to happen. Anyways, a uh, Monster Hunter movie that has been in the works for some time is releasing September 4th. Sony Pictures revealed two posters. Trailer is coming soon. Uh, so I don't know why, but like the posters I think look really awesome. It's just like one's like some dude with a bow and the bow is like 20 times larger than any like normal bow. It's like completely impractical. Like every weapon in Monster Hunter. <laughs> and the uh, other True one is same. a chick with a sort of similar girth. Yes. <laughs> so I'm just like suddenly super like, oh, my God, this actually looks like I I would see the movie based off of these posters. Uh, like it. It looks pretty cool. But the rest of the Internet is like not sharing this feeling. They're like, "Oh, you fucked up Monster Hunter. It's supposed to be colorful." It's all like it that, that it, admittedly it's not a very colorful looking poster either of them. They kind of remind me of like uh Mad Max. I'd say
1: chill out for a second
0: and uh, wait for the trailer. Right. If yeah. the
1: trailer looks like that, maybe you can say that.
0: Yeah, that's kind of hard to say cuz like as far as you can tell, it's two random characters posing with their weapons. Which are hilariously oversized, which could foreshadow like really badass, awesome fight scenes, or it could foreshadow hilariously cheesy bad video game movie,
1: and I'm hyped for either one of those things. Just so long as it isn't Sometimes, genuinely bad, right, terrible to watch video game movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Sometimes they both happen at the same time, like Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, where it's like it's so cheesy and it's like none of it really makes very much sense and uh, like mostly you're just watching it for the fight scenes
1: What is happening? Final Fantasy 7 is happening <laughs> Reminds me of the yeah there was a webcomic called Final Fantasy 7 The Sevening mm. it, was, uh, it sounds somehow familiar It was pretty true to the game just a little more ridiculous Huh. Neat I do have a piece of news before you launch into the next one that I had not added to the podcast document. You son of a bitch. Uh, So, Mountain Blade Warband has been confirmed for early access release on March 31st. Neat. And I'll probably... I'm probably going to take some time off and just uh, lose my life to that game. Cool. Wanna
0: plug it slightly or tell the
1: viewers what it's about? Uh it's about being a medieval weirdo who goes around and does whatever.
0: So it's like thy dungeon man?
1: Not quite. It's like or being a, a genuine. genuine quest? It's like being <laughs> a genuinely medieval dude going around and doing whatever. Throw baby. Uh, maybe I can mock... Maybe they can get modded into the game. Why haven't they made like a Die mostly Dungeon castle Man sieges movie? and shit? I don't know. Maybe you should email the the, the chat. Who are they? The Chapman brothers? Sure. I don't know. You email Strong Bad him yeah. why he hasn't made a Die
0: Dungeon Man movie. Yeah, I'll be like, hey, can I have the rights to that? I'm gonna make it.
1: Strong don't Bad still hilarious. answer emails? Uh, probably. I haven't checked on that website in a long time. Ah, uh, me neither.
0: Yeah, And also on the tabletop side of news, uh, Mission Decks from NorCal Mythos have been fully backed. So they are now going for stretch goals. The Kickstarter is still open. If you look for uh, Mission Decks or NorCal Mythos, you can look up NorCal Mythos on Twitter. Uh, we also had them on the podcast. So if you're not really sure what Mission Decks are, uh, we have an episode about that. So go, back go back about
1: three weeks. Yeah, three or four something yeah.
0: weeks. Yeah. Uh, we we kind of chat him up, get a kind of a vague idea of what it is, and uh, he joined us for a podcast, uh, and we had lots of fun. He was cool. So uh, go check them out, give them money, and all that good stuff. Uh, and final piece of news and booze Samurai Jack Battle Through Time has been announced, which is a video game based on the Cartoon Network series. The story involves Jack being flung to all different time periods. Uh, the series writer Derek Bachman. Uh, returns to write the entire game script it's developed by Adult Swim Games in conjunction from Soleil Games which is a Japanese studio previously the people that work at this studio uh, basically kind of split off from Team Ninja who developed Ninja Gaiden and Dead or Alive so it looks fucking amazing like I love Samurai Jack anyways and just a Samurai Jack game being developed by the same guys that made Ninja Gaiden is like okay, I'm fucking buying it. <coughs> you fucking buying it? Maybe. I'll
1: have to
0: I'll have to look at it. It's for a lot of consoles too. I think it's on PC, Switch, Xbox and PS4.
1: So, yeah, I'll have to add it to the list.
0: Yeah. All right. And uh so that's just mostly a personal holy crap moment for me, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> we, we both
1: advertised to... our personal holy crap moments. Yeah, because Samurai Jack is fucking great. Samurai Jack is fucking great. Yeah.
0: Um, anywho, let's move on to our video game topic for the week, uh, which is the best tiny details in video games. Because uh, I feel like sometimes it's those kind of details that really make games. Uh,
1: just Dovetailing music mm-hmm. in general, in uh, games where it happens. Yeah.
0: Uh, care to expand on that?
1: Yeah. Just uh, any any game that has music where it has a variable mix, where different where music blends in seamlessly depending on what's going on in the scene. Mm-hmm. So, uh, something like
0: uh, Breath of the Wild. Yeah, maybe where it's kind of like the music is fairly subtle. I guess in in this case, it wouldn't have to be fairly subtle. But uh, in Breath of the Wild's case, it's it's pretty much subtle. Uh, and you almost don't notice it, but it's there. And then when you do notice it, you're like, oh, yeah, there's music in this game. It's not all that bad. Um, I like that sometimes. I, um... I can get behind the idea. I feel like in Breath of the Wild, it wasn't done as well as it could have been. Not because it was, like, bad or anything, but because I feel like it missed a little bit of that kind of Zelda-ish quality. Yeah. Because, like, basically all Zelda games before this have had some crazy awesome bombastic overworld theme, and here Breath of the Wild comes in with, like, two notes every four measures.
1: Well, I think the place you can see it clearest is probably the uh, Divine Beasts. Yeah. Where, for every terminal you clear, the music intensifies.
0: Yeah, that was a kind of a cool little mechanic. Um, I feel like that would have been heightened more if they had done more different-sounding themes for each Divine Beast as well, though. Because there was a different, unique theme for each dungeon and a different unique boss theme for each of the bosses of those dungeons in the divine you Beasts? The prayer
1: chance from the fire temple the what the prayer chance
0: yeah that was cool
1: what what about it <laughs> just random tangent okay I thought I thought that version of the music in that game was pretty cool that was cool
0: I was just talking about that the other day I was like it came up again um, yeah, um Yeah, so, like, they all had unique themes in the dungeon and the boss fight, and the themes had these different stages, because it would not just add volume, it would add a little bit of complexity. There was layers to the music that they were kind of holding back until you got to the most epic moment in the dungeon. And I thought that was a really cool idea, but the dungeon themes and boss themes felt so samey that I didn't even know that they were unique until... I was pointed out that hey, look, these themes are unique. Uh, I really liked them from like somebody posted or something <laughs> that they really liked the boss themes, and I was like, I had to listen to them again to notice any difference.
1: It's because they all share the same melody. Yeah. So. And the same instrumentation, and,
0: and it's it's like, yeah, it's cool, but I feel like to stand out more they could have been more unique i don't know you know a bomb a more bombastic thing for the fired one and maybe different sort of more technical instrumentation on the water boss is what i would kind of imagine maybe i don't know so you know some kind of differences like that
1: yeah it's uh i, I understand where you're coming from on that one and that was uh I think that was less where what I was thinking of, and more. I was thinking of more. uh, How instruments could fade in and out in certain games. Like in Enter the Gungeon, how there's a calm room theme that can launch Mm -hmm. into like a combat room theme. Right. And it's. They're part of the same melody, they're playing the same song, but they're Mm -hmm. clearly. They feel very different. Yeah. Um. I feel like it does a similar kind of thing
0: to that in Crypt of the Necrodancer, too, uh, where, like, uh, you're kind of walking around and, you know, the music kind of gets more intense when you find more enemies on screen and stuff. Uh, And then it's also the same theme with the, the shop guy. Where he sings. Yeah, where he's singing. And so when you get closer to him, he's like sings a little bit. It kind of fades in the singing, which is just on top of whatever music is playing, depending on what level you're in. And then once you actually go into the shop, he's like just full on belting out this shit. And it's like, it's fucking cool. Uh, And the same thing in Cadence of Hyrule, um, which
1: is just great. You know, I, I didn't think it Crypt of the Necrodancer initially, but I gotta agree with you on that one.
0: Yeah. Um, both of those are good games, and they, they I feel like both kind of utilized that element. And it was... I feel like that was a way in which it was heightened in uh, Cadence of Hyrule even more. Uh, maybe just because of all the nostalgia factor of most of the songs in that game. Because most of the tunes were taken from another Zelda game. Uh... Or one Zelda game or another, not all the same one. They were it, there's a lot of different throwbacks to the series. So if you're a longtime fan, there's just so many musical Easter eggs in that game. And then this kind of coupled with that fact that it's like, okay, now you go onto a screen and then you beat all the enemies and then it kind of settles down a bit. It's like, okay, you beat all the enemies, collect your gems, and go to the next screen, and there's a lineup. <laughs> so it's like. Kind of almost grabbing you by the scruff of the neck and being like, there's stuff on screen! Be intense! You don't fuck up! <laughs> it's cool. I like it. Um, a little detail that always kind of stood out to me was, uh, there was there was actually a few really good ones back in Metroid Prime, which at the time I would have said was the game... That had the best graphics of all time, because of all these little kind of things. Like your, like you'd be freezing up in the ice world. Uh, yeah, and like you could see fog inside your helmet sometimes. And uh, if you got like a big glare off of your helmet from your firing your charge beam too close, then you'd see the glare in your visor, and you'd see Samus's eyes in the reflection for a minute. Uh, you could actually look up. And uh, if it was raining or snowing, and see the weather, like, drip off your visor. And, like, for a GameCube generation game, that was fucking unheard of. It was very impressive. Yeah. So, lots of cool little kind of details in that. Uh, And they were, like, little details that actually felt like they mat- it, it wasn't like, oh, look at all the detail in this bush and flowers over here. It was like these kind of things that come up, not all the time, but when they come up, it really just brings you into that world a step further. So that was a cool one. Um, yeah. What other kind of little details are there?
1: In Disco Elysium, if you spend the first day... If you find your one of your shoes and not your other one, your partner does comment on it that you spent the whole day running around with just one shoe on. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's it's all about noticing the little things, and it's like there's tine, tons of tiny yeah. little examples.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I feel like uh, Metroid Prime. Another thing that was
0: really good about that was being able to scan stuff and get a little bit of lore here and there, like, oh, there's a dead space pirate. Oh, there's a uh, dead Metroid or a container that's been broken open where a Metroid used to be. You know, and all sorts of little kind of things to almost do detective work with. And that's one of my favorite kinds of uh, small details is when there's just a little bit of lore sprinkled in here and there. Another good example is Breath of the Wild, again, uh, where you're like picking out like you can go read the champion's diaries you can read zelda's diary you can find these little uh tablets actually they're like giant stone monuments um that lead up to zora's domain that kind of tell some of the stories of um what happened 100 years ago and different stuff like that uh and that kind of little detail that just adds teeny tiny bits to the story is really cool to me Uh, I think one of the games that did it best is uh, I was just playing Blasphemous. Uh, Because Blasphemous almost tells its entire story through this kind of thing. Where, like, you're in the story and you occasionally interact with people, but it doesn't explicitly tell you what's going on all the time. And there's a lot of background information that you can get by finding basically fucking anything. Because in addition to doing something or being used for a quest, almost every item in the game, you can uh, push a little... It it gives you a... When you put your cursor over it, it gives you a little command option to push X for lore. And almost every item in the game has two to five paragraphs of random uh, story about what happened with this particular item or this kneecap of the blacksmith. Or there's a lot of weird shit like that. <laughs> the collectibles are all like body parts of random villagers and you're like, what happened? In this, this is world? a very brutal game. Yeah. But it's like, okay. And then it tells you a little glimpse into the life of this guy. And there's all of them kinda interconnect somehow. And it's uh it's really cool. Is there any kind of story related small tidbits that you like from gaming?
1: See a little story-related tidbits. I remember Final Fantasy VIII had an entire fucking encyclopedia hidden inside its menu. Huh. on the world that I, I never bothered to read. Huh? I'm sure, somebody did. Right. Uh,
0: kind of like in uh, Super Mario Odyssey, where if you go to your map, it's like a tourist map, and it's got like, ooh, visit this thing, yeah. visit, <laughs> and it's like. What the hell? This is so awesome. And there's like a fair chunk of text to read on every single kingdom. I'm like, that's actually pretty awesome. I was going to say the Fire Emblem support system just adds tons of little details to every character. It does. And how they intermingle with the others.
1: And the fact that somebody had to go to the trouble to write all those conversations, and you know that you're only going to see a tiny fraction of those in any given playthrough.
0: Yeah, because it's like, whatever guys you level up supports with, you know, they might have several other support options. And it, like, to literally 100% of Fire Emblem game would take, like, three or four playthroughs at least, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Just based on the support conversation. Just to see all of them so yeah i think that's like one of the best things about fire emblem anyways that's i feel like why it's my favorite rpg series is that it's just like it focuses so much on that role play that it's like okay i see the camaraderie between these guys so i'm gonna role play them being next to each other in battle and helping each other out uh and you know even different little kind of you almost form social cliques within your party it's like and these guys so are it's... friends
1: wait why are these guys hanging out that's not supposed to happen right yeah, yeah. I, I... and then especially in the new ones where you're like
0: shipping them too you're like oh yeah they're gonna get it on and then they never do because Edelgard is way too busy oh <laughs> spoilers yeah <laughs> uh, I mean, if you haven't, you know, beat that chapter of this one and ship Edelgard with somebody by this point, you're probably not gonna.
1: Yeah, huh? that's fair. Because, I mean,
0: maybe you're working your way through your fourth playthrough now and shipping Edelgard with somebody? I don't know.
1: We, we don't know, Random viewers. I particularly do not know. Right.
0: That would be even more difficult in three houses, because, like, you can't even get all of the same party members in a playthrough most of the time. Like, you have to be at least on your second playthrough to get every character in the game. Huh. Because everybody's separated in different houses. And even then, you don't have the house leader from the other two houses. So you don't have access to those support conversations.
1: You know, I'm just thinking about how in Fire Emblem Fates all those women got pregnant and gave birth and then their children grew to adulthood instantly. Yeah, and then they were like, okay,
0: sweetie, you can fight on the battlefield with us. Super weird.
1: Yeah. Just, just
0: really... That's what I would do with my kids. I'd be like, okay, you can be 25 now and then, and then we'll go fuck some shit up. Here's a spear and a fucking dragon that you can ride into battle.
1: You ready? <laughs> I wish I knew you growing up, Dad. It was more convenient this way. (laughs) Shut up and kill those
0: guys that are invading us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Bonding through bloodshed. (laughs) I like the squishing noise that it makes in Command and Conquer when you run people over with a vehicle. They didn't have to put it in, but they did. Yeah, that was a game from
0: 1995.
1: hmm So. Sound design is a really big kind of thing for little details, too.
0: Uh, there's a lot of them to discover in Breath of the Wild, too. I, somehow we keep coming back to this. <laughs>
1: yeah. Breath of the Wild has a whole bunch of little details and, like, burnt-out husks of buildings. And yeah. Little references
0: to other parts of the series and shit. So... Yeah, Like, we probably could have just made an entire topic about talking Breath of the Wild's
1: little like details. if you stand on the edge of the bridge when that one guy is passing through, he tells you to stop and not to jump over. That's pretty funny. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm just gonna land in the river. Right. And not die. You're like,
0: it's 10 feet down and it's 20 feet deep. I'm, I'm fine, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Also, have you seen me? I'm super athletic, even though I've been, you know, in a coma for a hundred years. How did his muscles not become, like, fucking jelly?
1: Probably the same reason he looks like he's still, like, pretty young and not like an old
0: man. I always kind of wanted to do, like, a a theory on aging and Hylians. Because, like, they're... Link and Zelda are there for a hundred years, and they look like fucking normal.
1: Well, Zelda has fucking superpowers. Right. That's the only answer I have for that one. Yeah,
0: and Link was stuck in a magic shrine that resurrected him slowly over a hundred years. But Impa... Impa's a sheikah. Yeah. So, of course, she's old. But then, on the other hand, their cycles of the moon are also only eight days. So, is a hundred years the same length as a hundred years on Earth?
1: I mean, the days are, what, 10 minutes long? 20 minutes long? <laughs> right, so they were only there for, like, a few hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like, calm your tits, Zelda. I've been asleep for, like, three days.
1: Fine. <laughs> Jesus, people breed fast here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Impo, what the fuck? What happened to your face?
1: It's just like, you know, if ninja live too long, you know, they live past... The ripe old age of twenty—they just get old. mhm They sag like uh, old grapes. I've seen it happen before. It's not pretty. Mm-hmm. Use the your ninja people.
0: Yeah. That's the—that's—that's that's the solution. Yeah. You know what else is a solution?
1: What? Alcohol. A chemist thing. told me that. Well, he's probably correct. I'm not a chemist. I'm. Yeah. No. Alcohol does not, in fact, rock. A geolo- geologist told me that.
0: Hmm.
1: I'm just kidding. No geologist ever told me that. I know a geologist who makes beer. I know a geologist who does not make beer, to my knowledge. <laughs> we both know a geologist. Yeah. That's the point. But mine
0: owns a microbrewery. Oh, cool. And it's, it's fucking great. And he also helped this, uh, start uh, Tommy Knocker. Um, Charlie uh, was the old owner of the Cheshire Cat and owns Golden City Brewery right now. So we've been drinking their beer for the past couple of episodes. Those beers are good. Yes, all of them. They're fucking good. Go to Golden City Brewery. Hashtag shameless plug. Anywho, any more tiny Tom... (laughs) Sorry, I fucked up my facing speakery.
1: I like that if you have a gun that... ejects casings and enter the dungeon like a revolver. You can use it to eject casings over an invisible bridge, and the casings'll land on the bridge. So you can fire your gun so often that you can find your way around the invisible bridge to get to the other side. That would be so fucking useful in Link to the Past. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, it kind of reminds me, actually, of a little detail in Halo that is no longer a little detail. But Halo was one of the first games to really have detailed uh, reloading animations that I ever noticed. Where it's like, in the rocket launcher, he like lifts up a little flap and takes out the old casing and puts in the new rocket and closes it up. and And it's like, it's not a huge animation in today's standards, but at the time, it was like really kind of neat to watch all of these different things or like ejecting the clip and putting it in you know resetting the pins and everything or, or you know whatever he's doing depending on what gun he's using uh, I, I thought that was a really cool detail that they added at the time that pretty much no shooter ever really did anything more than
1: like a two frame clip in clip out <laughs> I know there was there was a game there is a game that uh, I think it was one in every 10,000 times you reloaded there was a 1 in 10,000 chance you'd get a really special, weird loading animation. It's like, you unload your pistol and a hand comes from off-screen to hand you the another clip. And you just load it in, grab it from them and load it in. <laughs> or, like, you're going to reload, to reload your assault rifle. Uh, so you just take... Uh, so you pull out the old clip and then you just take time shoving in, like, a comically large clip into the... <laughs> into it before i uh, it gets in there. That's <laughs> so random it's amazing. <laughs> I love it. So I thought it's to the point where I don't know the name of the game. I don't know what game that what that is mm-hmm. but I know about those animations. Yeah. Cool.
0: Any other tiny details? Trying to think of any. I if felt you like
1: get, if you try and get e flask often enough from thy uh, dungeon man, uh, it turns out it was a load bearing flask, and the dungeon collapses on you, killing you. I do remember hearing about that. I never tried it that many times. I
0: remember it telling me you cannot get e flask. It is firmly bolted to a wall, which is firmly bolted to a dungeon, which is probably firmly bolted to the rest of a castle somewhere. <laughs> There's a lot of stupid little details in West of Loathing. Now that I think about it, like, just, like, walking into a cactus, your guy will say random stuff like, Ow! Eh! Prickly! (laughs) You get a perk for walking into a cactus often enough.
1: Yes. Is that where you get stupid walking? Or No, you had to read a manual for stupid walking. You wanted to learn how to walk so badly, and now you finally have... (laughs)
0: That was pretty great
1: I also like all of the random little tidbits that it says
0: when you find like an item that uh, like a you you find books that increase your stats and it's like this gives you 15 muscle or whatever the buff is and then it's but it's a one use item so it always comes up with some stupid bullshit excuse for you to lose it like you accidentally eat the book when you're done with it How? <laughs> like how do you come up with this shit i love you
1: you, you fucking accidentally drop the beautiful and then genius. step on it 20 times <laughs> yeah and then attempt to
0: pick it up <laughs> you <laughs> fucking klutz or something <laughs> yeah so uh and i remember that sort of weird thing was also just a big thing in kingdom of loathing in the first place and that's Really, the reason I love both of those games is for just
1: the fucking sheer laughs. I and like, a
0: lot of them come from these dumb
1: instances like that. I did like uh, grabbing, grabbing the thing out of the spittoons. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. All the spittoons is just like the game is like actively like, dude, are you fucking reaching into a a fucking steel can full of spit? And chewed up tobacco leaves? (laughs) Yes. Dude, that's gross, but okay, I guess I'll let you do it. (laughs) Ah. Salty. It's still salty, and I've been, like, trying to actively avoid drinking from the salty bits of my glass here. Would
1: you like to give this a shot? Sure. I'll take a
0: gander over here, stir it up a little, get that pepper flowing. Mmm. Hmm. It's largely like tea. You get a little bit of that juniper from the uh, it's definite, definitely definitely tastes the gin in there. Um, um, and yeah, a little little kind of pepperiness actually I think kinda works with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's surprisingly interesting. I'm a half decent mixologist that time. Yeah. Most of the time I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing, I'll put another whiskey in it. <laughs> uh cool yeah. there's an interesting one I just learned from Star Fox and then I think we can end the original Star Fox game had a, uh, a random secret where if you blow up a particular sequence of asteroids in like the first level a bird flies out
1: no that would be weird is that is that a thing? Yeah, that's a thing. Oh. I'll, I'll I'll tell you about that after you're done talking cool. about this one. Yeah. So,
0: anyways, this. Uh, so, if you, it, I think it's in the first level or one of the first couple of levels where you're in the asteroid belt, and if you blow up this particular sequence of asteroids, you can get a special asteroid to appear with a giant grinning face, and if you blow that up, it like turns into a wormhole
1: or something. Okay, this is what I'm thinking of. When you shoot that giant. When you blow up that giant grinning face, a bird flies out, and if you fly into the bird, you get teleported to another dimension. Oh, okay. I knew that it teleported you somewhere, because I, I just recently found out about
0: this. I thought this was kind of interesting. But the sprite that is used for that asteroid was designed by the lead art director for Majora's Mask, and it almost looks identical to the fucking Majora's Mask moon. Ooh.
1: So. Pretty... Hit. I mean, the area it leads you to is pretty fucking creepy. Right. You fight. There's like <clears throat> planets with faces in the background and shit, and I'm not that up on my Super Nintendo Classic now. And then you start fighting like paper airplanes, huh? And then the boss of that level is a slot machine. Hmm. And if you kill the slot machine, you go directly to the end credits. Except you're still flying around, and when you get to the end, the end letters come down, but they're all scrambled. Huh? You can shoot them to rearrange them into the end. And if you shoot them enough times in the right order, they'll eventually rearrange themselves to spell out the end, and then they'll blink and fly towards you, and then more of the end will pop down. You, you, you can't ever get out of there. It's a soft block. Huh. Neat. It's also one of the creepier areas, because General Pepper is trying to contact you, and he just has lost all contact with you. Huh. It's like a mix between creepy and goofy. That's
0: just kind of fucking neat. I had no idea. <laughs> I haven't played that much of the original Star Fox. I played it when I got my Super Nintendo Classic and I started on it. Um, I got a fair way through the story. Um, it's... A, I feel like it's really awesome to see what it was like at the time, but it's a little jarring coming from games of today. Uh, trying to play it. So it's, it's... It's cool. It's definitely worth your time to play, but like... I I couldn't fucking get anywhere without free states.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, the first Star Fox is very difficult, mm-hmm. and you have to play it on the hardest difficulty to even get to that. Uh, to even get to that special stage I just mentioned. Ah, huh. Weird. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Star oh, Fox 2 was okay. I thought it was kind of interesting how it like integrated some new mechanics that were then recycled for later Star Fox games, mostly Star Fox 64. I really like Star Fox 64. Yeah. But at the same time it was like I really understand why they decided to scrap this project and make Star Fox 64 instead. Yeah. Uh And and also it had like this weird kind of almost RTS mini game sort of thing in the middle of it sort of like Star Fox command maybe I don't know I never played that one I've played Star Fox 1 2 and 64 64 was the best of those yeah yeah but yeah um so it was, it was kind of an interesting thing but I didn't really pay much attention to it but it's like you kind of have to fly your ship in between missions and like intercept enemy ships but then if you intercept the enemy ships, it'll, like, take you into a level and then you have to fight them and then you'll lose, like, power and shields and stuff. And you have to kind of, like, manage your resources so that you can defend your base from getting the enemy ships. Because if the enemy ships get to area uh, then you just fucking lose. Uh, but you also just fucking lose if you, you know, blow up trying to defend against enemy ships enough and then don't have enough health and shields to get through the final level once you get to the enemy base.
1: It does kind of remind me of Star Fox Command. Hmm. Star Fox Command had a lot of similar stuff. Okay. Well, that game was much more about multiple endings and uh, managing your how many pilots you had available. Hmm. Yeah. So I wonder if that was a thing that they
0: recycled for that reason that Star Fox 2 had got cut anyways. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Because I feel like going back to Star Fox 2, that feels like it's a lot of what happened to Star Fox 64, is they kind of took a lot of these ideas that they had had in their scrapped game, moved them forward, uh, updated it to the you know Nintendo 64 graphics and version and all that, and uh, kind of repurposed it. Because it, it felt very similar in style to Star Fox 64 in a lot of ways. Anywho's. Time to get on to the table topic. The best kinds of little details to add to your character in backstory, personality, physical description, etc. So I feel like little details kind of help your character. That's one of the reasons I brought these drinks today, is one of the little details that I add to every character is their drink of choice. Uh, Doc Had Grog, uh, my necromancer Silas, always drank white wine, which later turned out to be a good thing because then if somebody like spikes my white wine and it isn't quite white, then I'm like, huh, this guy's trying to drug me. So that's kind of interesting. And my latest character that I've been playing uh, in another campaign is named a Bastard. Because his parents never gave him a real name because they were just like, Ah, we don't want you anyways. You're just a bastard. Uh, his drink of choice is called the Charlie Bastard, which is uh, red wine and milk. <laughs> that sounds pretty gross. He's a weird glutton guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fun as shit to play, actually. Uh, he's, he's just kind of weird and off and like dark enough at some points that it's like it actually works out pretty good I always like especially in
1: modern games I always like to give my characters a little character tick Mm -hmm. like in the Call of Cthulhu game where the first character I had played uh drank and smoked and did Mm. lots of lots of drugs and would always offer anytime she'd enter a room she'd always offer everybody a uh Smoke, hmm. because it was the 1920s, and that was what people did. Right. And then the next character I played uh, would always reach into his pocket and extend a smoke to somebody, and then when they went to grab it, he'd take it back and smoke and light it up himself. <laughs> that was funny. He's like a piece-of-shit FBI agent. Right.
0: I do things like that sometimes for characters uh, that I'm... You know, I I always try to give everybody a little unique something about them, whether it's their drink of choice. Obviously, Doc's drink of choice was Grog. Uh, Or if it's some other vice, I think, adds a lot to a character sometimes. Uh, Like, I had a character, you remember Gorn, maybe, uh, was a chain smoker. Uh, And, like, literally, the first thing we did in that campaign was try and stop at a gas station. And I think... One of our the people in our party had to hack the because this this was like a modern day like zombie campaign like Left for Dead kind of thing, and uh, my character was the guy that drove this giant ass truck, and uh, we end up stopping in uh, some place or another, and I think you and me went into <laughs> you and my character went into the gas station, and we were like trying to figure out how to open the gas pump, and. Uh, uh, like somebody went behind the register and tried to hack the computer and you and me just went to the case and broke it open and stole all the cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like, what the fuck are you doing? And we're like, we don't know how to hack a computer. We're getting what we need. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, you need 40 packs of Marlboro? Yes, apparently. <laughs> if there was 50, we'd take 50. Does
1: that make it better? I also like having characters like that have incongruous mm. personality traits. Mm. Like, that same character is, like, someone who regularly sold drugs and mm-hmm. and was pretty violent, but also drove around in a Prius. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's, that's
0: pretty good. Uh, I've never thought of it quite like that. I always try to kind of think of my things in relation to each other because an- another character that i had uh uh captain gravity was a superhero guy that uh, had gravity based powers and could like do all sorts of neat stuff but he was also kind of a smoker but he uh, he like would regularly smoke uh prime times because he couldn't always afford a good cigar So he'd most of the time be like begrudgingly smoking some like weird peach shit and complain about it, even though he was like this like fairly powerful, knowledgeable cigar buff and also like a hilariously powerful super guy. But he's just like, I don't have money. I can't afford good cigars. Okay, give me a pack of fucking cherry. (laughs) And then he just like bitch about it the entire time. They'd be like, do you have to smoke right now? Yes, I have to smoke. I wish I could smoke them good, but all I got is this fucking sweet shit.
1: I was not expecting, uh. powers like that to be able to kill so many people so easily. But I guess that's what they're good at.
0: <coughs> yes, yes they are.
1: Except for that one guy that could inexplicably deflect gravity. Yeah, that guy had, uh. had some powers of his own. Mm
0: hmm. Now that this beer at- is warmed up a little bit, I think I like it a little better. Um, you get a little more of the, finale, um, a little more of the
1: oatmealiness.
0: Uh, it tastes more more like a stout. Uh, so that that's that's a thing that when beers are too cold, sometimes you just can't taste what the fuck's going on.
1: Mm, that's why they serve uh, American lager so cold. Yeah.
0: So then you don't realize Bud Light tastes like shit because it shocks your taste buds into not paying attention yeah
1: yeah i was looking at the notes for the campaign with captain gravity oh yeah again today nice i was thinking about him the other day because i was thinking
0: about because uh, I, I actually was writing a novel at some point with uh I, that i i put him in as one of the characters Uh, only he would be like far further along than he was in our campaign. He'd be like actually legitimately like one of the most powerful threatening fucking things on the planet. Like right now in our campaign is like, he's pretty fucking powerful, but like, he's like world endingly powerful in, in my book is what I was kind of, you know, eventually what he builds his power to become. Uh, but then he uh, he's, he's actually kind of one of the side characters and it mostly is uh, revolving around this guy called Majestic Man who has healing powers who gets cut in half and uh, turns into two copies of himself via his healing power and then has a love triangle with himself <laughs> it's a steamy <laughs> romance novel <laughs> didn't see that coming did you
1: what are you thinking of calling it
0: a steamy romance novel. I don't know. I never came up with a title. Like, the the document I have is named A Steamy Romance Novel. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I don't know what I'll do next. So, And I, I kind of conceptualized a lot of scenes, but I never got them actually written down. So that was one of the things that I was thinking of getting back to. And then I got back to actually uh, kind of doing a little bit of formatting on our uh, super system. Yeah. So that's been kinda interesting and i'm I'm gonna tweak a couple of rules things anyways we've gone completely off fucking topic so uh <laughs> back to tabletops
1: back back to back to character traits yeah i had i had i have would be more accurate to say I have a character named never lives who would always because his family was so good at dying mm-hmm. uh would always say. If I don't make it out of this, give my proceeds to Charity. (laughs) And, uh... uh, Charity was actually his little sister. Mm Hmm. Uh, Ironically, he outlived her by... Like, a lot. Like, a thousand years. Ah. But, uh... The only reason he outlived her... with With the name Never Lives... Is because he broke an infernal contract and tried to kill a undead uh, I want to say a vampire an infernal vampire and uh, he got dragged into hell for a thousand and one years and tortured hmm sounds like a thing that would happen and (laughs) so uh, instead of never living he uh, didn't die nice
0: <laughs> what do you think about catchphrases is that a kind of a thing that you do very much?
1: Uh, hardcore hardcore <laughs> uh, I usually do it when I feel like I'm not going to come back to I'm not going to come back to that character I feel like when you play an extreme uh, an extreme stereotype of a character or a prestige of a character. Mm. A, a caricature, basically, you usually... It's like they're fun to play for a little while, and then you get bored of them. Mm. That's how I feel about it. Could be. So I feel like... Yeah, either... Catchphrases tend to turn them more into caricatures. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they either get developed more, or they die off... If it becomes like a long-running game, they get developed more, or they die off quickly... And mm. then you play somebody who's a little more involved. Hmm. Neat.
0: I played Doc in one, uh... Uh, let's see. It was a, uh, play-by-post RPG on a forum. And, uh... I just, every time he attacked something, he said, <laughs> It was just this random thing that I just typed in when I was doing this thing. Oh, I'm re- yeah, somehow back that, to me now. Yeah, somehow that ended up coming through to our uh, actual tabletop sessions when we got back to that. Uh, it wasn't exactly Doc in that, but it, I was more or less playing the same character. Because uh, for a while there, I kind of got into the same sort of character like a a two sword guy that swears and drinks grog a lot goes fishing too much that's one of the things that i liked most about doc was his other feature though was like other than you know you expect a pirate to swear and drink a lot but not to catch
1: fish out of a wine bottle
0: yeah i caught fish out of a wine bottle (laughs) because that was hilarious you know every every chance i got he would go fishing he'd just be like is there any like body of water near here yeah okay there's a, a stream okay i'm gonna i'm gonna drop a bobber find a nightcrawler or some shit <laughs> and then uh it was funny because we were in a like very landlocked place at one point and i dropped my line in a bottle of wine because uh the bartender put it on the table when i asked him if there was a close by body of water and he was like here you go and i I was like okay and i dropped my line in it and he looks at me like i'm a fucking moron and i uh rolled up my uh check and at this point we were like all fucking level 25 or something so doing theoretically impossible dc 45 checks was like not unheard of and i was like i rolled it up and i'm like 47 or something i'm like i can i succeed the theoretically impossible dc and i catch a fish out of there which was almost as hilarious as the other time that i died and found my way back because i like go to be judged or something and i'm just like i'm gonna sit down and fish in the river sticks wait what (laughs) i caught something that dragged me back to the world of the living or something which uh i don't i'm not sure i ever fully understood I'm like maybe it was just a way to shoehorn me back into the campaign somehow. I I don't I don't actually remember all the details other than fishing in the river sticks. And then I wasn't death anymore. You gave up
1: being death. I did.
0: Although not technically on purpose. I what cuz I was killed by like a random monster that was killed by another random monster. So those two monsters were like death for like 15 seconds. And then somebody who actually was interested in holding the office of death came in and killed them and became death. I was a terrible death. You were... You were not great at that. <laughs> people didn't die? I mean, people died when I declared war on war. Pestilence was on my side, though. So this is that was cool. Yeah. You caused problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They weren't my problems anymore after I abandoned the office. Kind of like Steve Carell. That was a different office. I don't know if he abandoned it. I'm just making shit up.
1: There were two more seasons of that show after you left. Neat.
0: I mean, I didn't actually watch most of it. Yeah. Me neither. Not that I don't like it. It was a fine show. It was pretty funny. Mm. Uh, yeah. Anywho... Uh, do we have any more little kind of things that you like to add to your characters? Do you do anything different between NPCs and uh, PCs for this sort of thing?
1: I usually feel like when I'm running a game, I try to play as straight man. Uh huh. To whatever inevitable bullshit will come from all of the player characters. Right. So when I run NPCs, I try to make them react kind of like how I think people would. Yeah. I kind of do
0: that a little bit, and I also try to kind of, like, if they have to react, I kind of think, okay, what's a little thing that I could push into their way, or... Uh, Sometimes when I'm writing sessions too, if I'm specifically preparing a session to have this NPC featured and this NPC uh, featured and this uh, like a a boss character maybe later that has some dialogue or something, then I try to kind of put in something unique for them as well. And I don't know if it always comes across because sometimes I feel like maybe it's too subtle. Uh, But uh, I always try to do like uh, NPCs that are like, I, I, I had players find a a mouse in a wall once that like if they roleplayed with him well would give him a key to uh, later in the dungeon for a secret room or something I don't remember exactly but the mouse comes out of the wall and he roleplays with the mouse with, with them and he and he just comes out and he's like the fuck do you cunts one. And they're just like, what the fuck is with this mouse? And he's just like this foul-mouthed little mouse that's like fucking swearing every five seconds. And, you know, just weird stuff like that. And I always have a vague personality in mind when I put NPCs in a tavern or something. I always have three orcs in a corner playing darts, and one of them is always itching for a fight, and uh, usually they can't calm that one down,
1: Usually they don't try. <laughs> usually it's uh. Usually Tyler actively antagonizes them.
0: Yeah. And then that one kind. And uh, I've I've kind of thought of what the other two should be and come up with different ideas at the time, but then it never comes up because the one that wants to pick a fight usually gets it. <laughs> uh. And and like bartenders, I usually try to give something in there like oh the bartender knows something that could be plot relevant or and a, a lot of times the bartender doesn't actually get any acknowledgement at all when I think of these things they're just like hey bartender I'll have a ale or you know whatever their character drinks and, and you know role play that far with the bartender and then forget he exists and fight with the orcs
1: <laughs> or, pick up the bartender use him j- as a lot then.
0: It's happened an oddly large number of times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh,
1: anything else on that note? Uh, I usually go out of my way when I have an NPC that is kind of interesting. I might spur of the moment give them like a bizarre personality characteristic. Mm-hmm. But if I'm just like, there's a random town guard that's terrified at the horrible thing that they're witnessing the party do. There's no reason for them to have more personality than I am a town guard. Yeah. Uh. Although if you had like a post-apocalyptic, uh, or like an alien ship kind of thing that been everybody been killed on except for the one guy who was recording logs, but in his logs he always finds a way of complaining about his family.
0: Huh. What a douche. <laughs> that kind of funny. I like it. And with that, are we done? Uh, I think so. Okay. Then uh, I see you didn't bring a thing. I did not. So we're going to do Sean brings a thing. I have the Octopath Traveler Wayfarer's Edition, which I think is fucking cool because it looks like a giant fucking book. It does. Uh, and it actually is a book. Partially. Um, So it came with a few things. You've seen my coin that came with it as kind of a representation of the coins in the game.
1: Aluminium.
0: Probably, yeah. Um, And then it came with this neat double-sided cloth map. That's cool. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I like that. Uh, So I keep that out most of the time. Also came with a soundtrack CD, which is in my car. Uh, uh, The game obviously came with it. And then the book is actually one of the coolest parts... Uh, So if you set it up like so, it's actually a pop-up book. And it's got the scene of the first town of all of the eight uh, uh, playable characters in the game. So uh, this one yeah, Ophelia here, just in their own individual... Because they all start in individual starting towns, and you have to kind of travel around the world just to get your party started. She has long gloves. (coughs) Yes, she does. Uh, So yeah, that one's Ophelia. She's the kind of white mage, basically. Uh, But I really kind of love how this pop-up book sort of works. Uh, Here's Cyrus, kind of lives in... He's like this scholar dude. Um, And uh, he kind of does mostly Meiji stuff and is a scholar and is a badass. Yes. Um, So I love how the pop-up book really represents the graphic style of the game, though. Because in the game, it almost feels like a pop-up book, just the way that everything works. Because it's basically... It's built in Unreal... And uh, everything is wrapped in this pixel art kind of
1: thing. Um, I think this one's Ulbrich. Uh, yeah. It's actually a very cool to look at. I feel bad for the audio listeners who are not are. Yeah, not so, uh,
0: so if you haven't seen one of these, go check out an unboxing video or some such. Here's Primrose, his uh, uh, best character. And uh, I just love the detail on this one with this fucking staircase here. <laughs> stairs It's like that's fucking cool. And um Honet, I think oh no, this is Alfin. Uh who has this kind of story at this graveyard beforehand? Uh Theron and then Hanit Uh so yeah, it's got one of these little pop-up pages for each one of the characters. Um and it I think it's fucking cool. So, here it is. Go. Pretty cool. You can check that out here. Uh, so Octopath Traveler in general I would rate a 17 out of 17 this is my second favorite game of all time this game is fucking great go buy it Uh, the Wayfarers edition is one of my favorite collector's editions because like literally just looking through this pop-up book is something I just do every now and then and it just takes me right back to that first time I booted up the game and went through all of these different towns and saw all the characters for the first time and stuff Uh, it's awesome. I use the coin for D&D occasionally, uh, because, like, you need a D2. Okay, I flip a coin. Um, so, yeah. it's an awesome little piece of my collection here.
1: It is. But what would you rate the physical stuff alone? Um,
0: because of how well it integrates with the game, uh, because it's, again, it's like, somehow giving me the same kind of trip as nostalgia even though this is like a game that's been out like two years it's a fairly new game Mm -hmm. Uh, and I still get that same kind of nostalgia that I do like looking at the instruction manual of Ocarina of Time that is how fucking good this pop-up book is Uh, In addition to that, I just love this little cloth map and it's got the map on one side, the other side is like this kind of scene of all of the characters around a table. It's really cool. Uh, The coin I use... Uh, regularly in D D, or well, not regularly because a D two doesn't come up much. But I, you know, I'm always fiddling with something at the at the D and D table, and that's one of the things that I fiddle with is my. I got that coin, and I got a coin from my Collector's Edition Breath of the Wild, which maybe I'll do something related to that next week. Ooh, ooh. If you don't bring a thing, because uh, I've got actually a smallish decent collection of gaming books that I could. I will bring likely to... have a very special thing to bring next week.
1: Awesome. But so no. No guarantees. Right.
0: So at some point, I'll bring in some of my Breath of the Wild stuff. I got the Breath of the Wild strategy guide, too. And I got a couple of different Zelda collector books and things like that. And, and other gaming kind of books. So I'm going to bring in some other stuff when Chris doesn't have a thing. So that'll be cool. Yes. Yeah. Um, so just the the physical stuff, I am super, super happy with my purchase. Um Definitely would go with another 17. This is the best
1: collector's edition I have ever bought. Nice. Um, Well, I mean, with that pop-up book and the map, it doesn't feel or look like
0: crap. Yeah, and plus then you get the soundtrack CD, which literally the first time I put in the game, I put in the game and I left it on the start menu for like 20 minutes just listening to the fucking start menu theme the music is that fucking good uh and so i keep that cd in my car and i'll just put it on every now and then if i'm just like ah too many stations are on commercial i'll put in a cd and i I have a handful of them i've also got the couple of different zelda soundtracks and uh um xenoblade chronicles 2 soundtrack in there um and probably an alice cooper cd or something just to throw off the everything. Jethro Tull? I don't actually have any Jethro Tull CDs. I listen to them on Spotify fairly often. Um, My brother was big into Jethro Tull, so I had access to a lot of them uh, way back in the day on his CDs, but mostly I put them on my iPod back when I had an iPod, when iPods were a thing.
1: I still have an iPod. I'm sure you do, actually. Actually, I went out of my way to get an iPod Touch because I want a specialized music rectangle that isn't my smartphone. Because I don't like draining my smartphone battery for music shit. I guess that makes sense. It's a little
0: easier depending on car setup, Um, especially in newer cars because, like, uh, our buddy Tyler has it where he can just plug his phone into his car and it'll charge it and also take off all the stuff to, you know do uh, his music shit on his touchscreen screen doohickey and stuff. It's fancy. It would bug the hell out of me though. I, d- I just don't want a touchscreen in my car ever. I'm just like I want physical buttons so I can actually look at what the fuck I'm doing while I change the station or something.
1: Yeah. Ju- it's... If you have physical buttons, it makes sense that you can do it while driving. You don't have to look.
0: One of the things I like most about my truck, actually, is that it's got some buttons on the steering wheel, too, so I can actually control the entire sound system from the steering wheel. I don't have to move my hands at all, and I can change station or change to a CD and change volume and all that shit. That's Uh, pretty cool. Yeah, with just buttons that are on the back of my steering wheel, so right while I'm driving, I can just click them. So. Is your, your truck George? No, my truck is Billy. Oh. Yeah, because he's a ram. Ah. Get it? Yeah. Yeah. Not like my first one was uh, Fred. Fred. Poor Fred. Lost his tailgate. <clears throat> yes. Yes, he did. Never returned. Yeah. Frederick Ignatius Socrates O'Leary. Frederick Ignatius Socrates O'Leary. Yes.
1: Fissile. Yeah.
0: Because he was an F-150, and if you take 1, 5, and 0 out of Leet, they're ISO. So his initials were F-150. Frederick Ignatius Socrates O'Leary. Beautiful. Yes. And then my other car I had before that was... uh, The El Caballo. El Caballo. Which was just named that because at some point I randomly, nay, yelled, "¡Hia El Caballo! As I was driving him, trying to get him to go over 20.
1: Unfortunately, he
0: was defeated. He was. By a huge concrete boulder. Or at least that's how the song goes. Yeah. I wrote a song commemorating my first car. Do most people do that? I, I don't think so. Huh. Did you ever write a song commemorating your first car? The green piece of shit. <laughs> that, that that would be a perfect name for your. Yeah, that that was the Saturn, right? Yeah. So you've had two whole cars in your life. Yes. Not doing too bad, actually. Yeah, they're they Because I mean,
1: I'm one year older than you, and I've had, you know, four technically. To be fair, they've been they've all. I think the Kia's been totaled a few times. Right. And also, I think I've also bought older
0: cars than both of your cars every time, almost. Yeah. Well, may- maybe my truck is probably newer than your Saturn was. Because what was your Saturn? 1997. Okay, so your your Saturn was the same year as my Jeep. Okay. So I had one car that was tied and one car that was newer out of the four vehicles
1: that I've ever owned. And the saturn the saturn its end when the radiator fell out of it that doesn't just randomly help yeah i mean i like what the I'm fuck's not am not like a car guy but I don't think radiators are supposed to fall out I don't think most things After are supposed, supposed to fall out yeah. that's
0: what i said to my sister when her drive shaft fell out <laughs> <laughs> it's like how how does that even happen I'm pretty sure that's a fairly integral part of the vehicle. <laughs> By which I mean literally all of how it works.
1: <laughs> There's a certain point where you you look order at it and you're like, Motor makes spinny things spin. Think
0: it... Spinny thing makes wheels spin. If the spinny thing falls off, you're <laughs> fucked.
1: It. You're like, oh, it's time for a new car.
0: Uh <clears throat> yeah. Actually, it turned out that like the the guys at Pep Boys had like installed it incorrectly or something so they reinstalled it for free which was, I wanna say nice, but at the same time they it's, fucked it, up
1: that bad it's just expected right? it's like they, they fucked up they didn't fuck up further they didn't compound their fuck up uh huh yeah
0: so anyways, uh, that's our podcast now we're gonna drink you gonna drink? Bullshit.
1: No, I gotta drive.
0: Mm. You nerd! I'm already slightly reasonably buzzed. Yeah.
1: Well, I was slightly reasonably buzzed. Did, did uh, a little before that on less buzz. Yeah, you're like, a fucking cool. lightweight.
0: You've had like barely any of that cocktail. Well, maybe a little bit of that cocktail because that, that was pretty full after I put the ice in it. Yeah. Which then quickly melted, and then. Half of this, well, I guess what is this ABV of this beer? I don't know. 6.5. 6.5? Okay. So that's Yeah, it's it's not the
1: beer. It's a little more than a cocktail. Right. Yeah. The dehydration.
0: Yeah. Dehydration never helps. the loneliness. You should hydrate. Or die.
1: What? God
0: help me. Uh, maybe. I guess guess he might.
1: I don't know. Ugh.